and welcome to Classical Schmassical, the anti-classical classical music podcast. Tune in every Saturday as we discuss, deconstruct, and dissect what it means to be a musician in the modern world. I'm your host, Alexa Letourneau. I use any pronouns, and our guest this week is Nina Smith. Hi, Alexa. So, for everyone watching, listening, my name's Lena Smith. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm a trombonist. I currently go to Illinois Wesleyan. I'm going into my senior year, and I'm majoring in instrumental performance. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I know, like, it's so good to see you again. It's been so long, and, like, obviously, my my time at Illinois Wesleyan was cut super short because of COVID, and so, like, we didn't really get to say goodbye, and um, it's just so nice to see you again. And I'm so excited to have you on. Um, it's our first trombonist on the pod, which is super exciting. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so especially since trombone is something that is like so different from the other brass instruments, I wonder if you could start out with our sort of stock question, which is what do people get wrong about the trombone and especially writing for the trombone, but really in general? I think a lot of people think that trombone is a really difficult instrument when in I, fact I, I do. feel... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I've been playing like for forever. So of course I'm like, oh yeah, like it's super easy. But <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> the misconception is that, oh, like it doesn't have keys. It doesn't have buttons. How do you play this thing? Yeah. Um, it definitely becomes like a muscle memory kind of second nature thing that you kind of just like pick up as the years go on. People are like, oh, how do you know where this position is? It's kind of give and take. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is that um, people also always think that there's exactly seven positions, but I basically play like one big tuning slide. So right, like there are, right. yeah, <laughs> there are seven positions, but like there's kind of some leeway. Like I have, have teachers say that like there are infinitely many positions. Yeah, that's so interesting too. And I know like I've recently been getting into playing microtonal music and Ooh. it's made me very envious of have like I want just a slide that I can just adjust instead of like I'm gonna I'm gonna like contort my and like pull my air down and like half hole this key and like I don't know just mm-hmm. you know, move it <laughs> uh so I, I definitely feel that yeah um who are some composers who like really really get how to write for the trombone I like my my first ever concerto actually was written for trombone and I know you've taken a look at it and I, I don't think it's very effective because I wrote it like a flute concerto because I was playing a yeah. bunch of concertos and I was like great I can write a concerto uh and then I got a good performance of it but that was that was more due to um a mutual friend of ours being a phenomenal player but then it is like it's a hugely difficult piece and not one that I would feel comfortable yeah. like giving to someone now so for someone like me who like doesn't know trombone rep what are some good good pieces to listen to to get that idea I find like Composer wise, I'm a big fan of Tekeli, just like period Ooh, in general. Okay. Love his music so, so much. I am never bored when we get a Tekeli piece. Yeah. I feel like he very much knows how to write for trombone and understands like the power behind trombone. A lot of the times, if brass is very much like, okay, you're going to play whole notes for three years and you're going to have like a really powerful line for like eight measures and that's it. I would never write something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's yeah. good on the chops, though. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> so I feel like DeKelly is very much um, distributing uh, those really powerful lines, like, throughout the music and not just like, okay, like, let's have them do this for eight measures and then enough of you kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 
Tekeli's like, I don't know. I feel like I never, his flute parts are very nondescript. But there's like yeah. a lot, there's a lot of people out there writing fun flute parts. I think we're very we're very um, privileged in that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are there like other like specific pieces or concertos or sonatas or things that you'd recommend listening to or checking out? Ooh, I worked on a piece called uh, "Du Danses" by Michael Defy, and it was absolutely gorgeous. I think it had a lot of good like. Um, trombone techniques like a lot of sliding glissandos that kind of thing while still being like extremely beautiful I was a big fan of the piece because it had um a nice contrast of like really beautiful parts but also like really powerful parts I think the trombone has a lot of good versatility that isn't utilized enough you know yeah definitely um to that end can you give like go into a little bit of detail about like things that the trombone really does like better than other instruments or like extended techniques, that kind of thing that are really specific. Cause it is so different from like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know how trombones work at all. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I don't either. That's fair. <laughs> I think um, obviously the one fun thing about trombone is like the slide, the glissandos, the smears, all like the kind of nasty stuff that like, you really get like a really good sound out of it by yeah. playing glissandos. I know that like other instruments can by giving like a little little flourish or something like that. Sure. But the true glissando is comes from the trombone. And I think not a lot of composers utilize it. I think it could be done way more. So whenever I see a gliss in a piece, I get so excited. And whenever a conductor asks for more, I'm like, oh, you want more? I got it. I got you. <laughs> yeah. Are there other like extended technique kind of things that you have? Like, I don't, I don't really know what's available. Um, even in the whole brass world is kind of like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little scary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what have I been working on recently? Um, I've been trying a lot of growling recently. I'm not sure if that's like a woodwind thing. Ooh, I, I, I don't growl. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen that in, in my music. <laughs> I know it's like a technique that can be used. I haven't personally seen it in any of my music, but it's like comes a lot from like the back of the throat while you're still playing and creates like a really like another like gross sound. I feel like they give a lot of the like gross sounds to trombones. They're like, here, you can <laughs> you can deal with that. That's fair. Yeah. Or maybe like uh, multiphonics. Ooh, okay. Is another one. I had a friend um, playing euphonium who actually had multiphonics like in a specific concerto piece. I'd have to look up the oh, name, yeah. but it was very cool. Oh, cool. And um, do you generally produce multiphonics? Is that a sing and play or is it something that you can actually um, like, you know, manipulate that resonance within the instrument to play two notes at once? I'm pretty sure like a sing and play, as far as I've done yeah. before, it's still something sure. like very untapped. Yeah. And something definitely. I'm still learning how to do very much. So it is like, extremely difficult to do I was so impressed with my friend that did it and she the euphonium player also did like the singing and like the um playing at the same time yeah yeah definitely that's something I've been recently getting into too and it's it's so much fun but really really hard to control at times I'm like yeah yeah or and like your oh sorry go ahead <laughs> go ahead <laughs> or like um sometimes if you're um playing the singing sounds good or vice versa like I feel like if I get it I'm like oh like my my voice sounds really good but my tone is like absolutely out the window or vice oh, yeah. versa I'm like oh my tone is gorgeous and then like I'm singing like an absolute muppet into my instrument right right no that can definitely be a challenge I, I had a composer who 
just wrote me a piece with a like the whole piece is basically sing and play and it's so so beautiful but then i had to keep like texting him and being like so turns out i know i told you i have this vocal range and this flute range turns out those two notes don't work together sorry <laughs> like i don't know why Pro- physics probably probably <laughs> like, yeah i think that that's like it's just su- such a fun thing to have that like collaboration and definitely being able to like reach out to your performers and be like hello try this out and and then see what happens it's yeah it's a fun time um how so like kind of moving into um more just like of your experiences in general uh, and away from like the trombone as cool as it is um how have your personal identities shaped your musical identity i know this is something we've talked about a little bit before but if you can kind of give me an overview of that sure i think when i first started playing um trombone it was very much out of defiance um at the time currently i identify as non-binary but i was just like some little girl who just wanted to play this instrument that was seemed like a boy instrument kind of thing and as it developed over time it kind of um gave me some spite. I was like, oh, these directors think yeah. I can't play just as loud because I'm a girl, this and that. So I think it fueled a lot of anger in my playing. A yeah. good kind of anger though. And um, as I uh, learned that I don't have to be so aggressive with my playing, I think my musical identity changed a little bit. So I think once I got to college, started figuring out my um, gender identity a little bit more. Um, my musical identity grew as well. It's like, you don't have to be so angry when you play. You can just play as a person and not. Yeah. Yeah. More as a human. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And I think like this weird, like instrument gender stereotype things are, are super, super influential to like young musicians, especially. And I know I like thinking back to some, some other bands that I've played in, there were a lot of like, haha I'm gonna be the first chair of brass and I'm a woman and the percentage of those people who still identify as female is very low yep <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but I think it like kind of it stems from this weird place of like oh the, the flute's a girl instrument and the trumpet's a boy instrument, and it's it, I don't know it's what is what is your experience been like with with these weird gender gendered instrument roles or is it just I don't know it's strange (laughs) it's strange I wish that like we could completely start from scratch on what means what and I feel like it starts really early like you're in fifth grade most of the time when you pick an instrument those ideals and those stereotypes are already like ingrained in your little brain that's super impressionable of course you're gonna want to like either be like me and be super spiteful and go against the grain Or you're going to want to maybe conform to your peers a little bit more and say, hey, I'm going to play the flute because uh, all my other friends that are girls are playing the flute or right. a bunch right. of gross broys are playing the tuba kind of thing. Yeah. So it's it's frustrating that like we start at such a young age when we're so um, we're so influenced by that. Yeah. I remember I was reading a study a couple months ago that was talking about how um, gender association with instruments uh was prevalent with kids as young as like three and four i think it was it was just like mind-blowingly early and like i for me like there's a lot of 
like a lot of things are gendered unnecessarily but for me that was one that really hit me where i was like i'm not even sure exactly where that comes from like there's not an obvious influence for me like some some things it's like that's weird propaganda that we're putting a gender on this thing but with instruments i was like what are we telling our one and two year old children yeah how how do we i don't know it was it was a weird it was a weird study that I was, I was just like, oh my gosh, it made me really like reevaluate my life, I guess. <laughs> That's so, so young too. That's, I even thought, so young. Yeah, yeah. I even thought like 12 year olds is like super young to like have these things ingrained, but it's so like, oh my God, so ingrained in our society. I'm sure it starts with like the whole like TV toys and things already being marketed. For sure. For sure. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody picks up a recorder, but then, you know what? Yeah um yeah for sure and like i know we've sort of began talking about this with so many like musicians especially those studying in like a conservatory setting um facing like really serious struggles with mental health what do you see as the way forward is that like a personal interaction thing is it a structural change thing where where does that fit into all of this that's a fantastic question I think it is definitely um, a structural kind of change. It is very much um, the idea that you have to practice until you absolutely drop dead. Mm -hmm. You have to practice this many hours a day if you're this major or even in any kind of major, they're like, oh, you have to do this much. And if you don't do this much, then you're not as good as a musician, you know? Mm -hmm. It's, It's super toxic for anyone to put that pressure on themselves and maybe just push through when they're not able to push through. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of leads to like um, a lot of anxiety surrounding practicing for a long time. Oh my God, what if I can't get this done in time? Oh my God, I'm never going to make it in life if I don't practice Mm -hmm. this amount of time. It's it's hard to see because um, I've struggled with that for a really long time. the very much anxiety and depression can go hand in hand. And for a while it was, um, it was difficult for me to get out of that mindset of if you don't practice for this amount of time, you're going to be a failure. Mm-hmm. I think definitely going back to structurally speaking is something we got to like tear down and be like, Hey, you can practice as much as you want, just as long as you're like being productive and doing your best and you're going to make it no matter what, you know? Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I've tried to work with, um, I have a couple of students and like one of the big things that I'm working with with them is I very much try to stay away from like, you need to practice 15 minutes a day between now and the next time I see you. Sometimes I like have to set those boundaries because they show up and they haven't practiced, but like more so focusing on here's how to practice effectively. Here are things that I've, you know, learned to do when I don't on days that I don't want to practice that are still useful and helpful and will make you understand the music better. And I think that's like something that is, I don't really know exactly the best way to teach that. I'm kind of like improvising every single time that I'm teaching really. Um, But I think that it's something that should be addressed a lot more because like, why don't I know how to teach that? I have like almost two entire degrees and what's going on here, but yeah. It's something that they feel like they just kind of like brush over and it's something that follows you throughout like your entire life, Um, even with like undergrad, but also like um, continuing on in the real world. There are so many um, 
upper level musicians that struggle with like um, substance abuse Mm -hmm. in the industry. And that's, I feel like a result of like years and years of anxiety and depression and constant overthinking. It's so hard to see. Yeah. And I mean, that's honestly, like, it's a big reason why for both of the degrees that I've gotten, I've chosen to go into composition. Cause for me, I've never been a person who can like establish a practice schedule and I have tried so many different things and it just like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. And I've never been able to establish a good composition schedule really either, but at least composition I can procrastinate on and do at the last minute. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Like you can't do that with practicing an instrument. It has to be something like if I went and I practiced for three hours, the, right the day before, right before my lesson, it's not, yeah. it's not going to work. But if I compose for three hours right before my lesson, I might get away get with it. Get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And it's, it's literally like this whole stigma against like having a sporadic practice or like, oh, you have to practice a minimum of two hours a day if you're going to be serious in any way. It was just, it was terrifying. And I genuinely think that if it hadn't existed, I probably would have at least one degree in flute by now. Not yeah. that I'm unhappy as a composer. I don't mean to make it sound that way. Of course, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I love composing and I'm really, really happy. But it was definitely, there's a fear of that culture that I was like, mm, no. Not for me. Not for, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's really tricky. <laughs> it's tricky to navigate yeah. because on one hand, you do want to be super successful. You want to put in the hard work and you want to put in the time. But on the other half of the time, you got to know when to stop. Um, I had a lot of friends, maybe my freshman, sophomore year who were playing up to three hours a day because they were being told to. Yeah. And it got to the point where they weren't being productive in those three hours anymore. It's like the whole practice uh, smarter, not harder. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it's so much easier if you go into um, a practice room and you have a certain amount of things to get done, you kind of try and set like a rough schedule for yourself. Be like, I'm only going to spend this much time on this certain thing because otherwise it can be counterproductive yeah like scales are really important but there's only so many scales you can play it before you're just playing them to say that you've done them like yep yeah and and even like there's there's a method book that that the flutists often use called like some some 17 daily exercises i want to say and one time I was like, I'm going to play through the 17 daily exercises because they're daily. It says on the cover, like they should be played every day. It took me four hours to play through all 17 daily exercises. Oh my God. And that's probably not how they're intended to be used. And most teachers will assign you like two or three, but it still plays into this idea of like, how much do you want to be doing? And like, maybe it's not how it's intended but on the cover it does say 17 daily exercises which would imply 17 exercises to play every day i don't know is that something that like i don't know is is the sort of mental health side of music tied into the gender side of music in any way that you've seen or i i'm curious i'm i'm cool. like it's not something i've really thought about before but just yeah that's a good question i like that i feel like Um, a lot of the times that, um, it's taught that like, oh, women are more like emotional and stuff like that. And, um, are more in touch with their emotions, um, which is, can be true, cannot be true. It's kind of sexist, but, um, 
that's shoved down women's throats. But I also feel like what's shoved down men's throats is a lot of like, you have to be tough. You can't cry. You can't feel your emotions Mm -hmm. very much. So, so I feel like my freshman year in college, I did see a lot of my guy friends kind of start to struggle with mental illness and not reach out for help for it because it's been taught their whole life that they can't feel those emotions. Or if they do, it's a bad thing. They're seen as less manly, that kind of thing. Yeah, Uh, for sure. It's just so hard to see. And oh, there goes my train of thought. (laughs) No, I I think it can, I think it can really be the same or similar experience with like physical health as well. Um, Especially like, I know so many people who have had playing injuries and the people that fight through them are that I, in my experience, like I haven't done any research or anything, but in my experience, just observationally, it does seem to be more uh, like male and masculine people who are getting worse and worse injuries. And it, I, I would posit that perhaps it is that sort of stigma of like, nah, it's the pain's not that bad. Yeah. And like, I've, I've kind of been somebody who like in the past has, has sort of in the same sort of like spiteful way, like I'm not going to be girly cause I can deal with pain. Exactly. And like, I, now I'm, now I am playing with chronic pain and it's like, it's this whole, yeah. it's ugh. why? I don't know. It must be awful. It's not a good time. I'm yeah. like always at the chiropractor and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just trying to play my flute. <laughs> You're like, I'm just trying to be a musician, please. Yeah, like I'm either playing my flute or I'm like hunched over a laptop, like, ooh, sounds. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah. Um, so what projects are you currently working on? Are there cool projects or pieces that you want to represent or anything else you'd like to bring to the table? Oh, I think... I've been working on this piece for um, a while now, a while now, and I want to audition with it for um, next semester's, uh, Wesleyan does a a band competition, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's this piece called Colors by Bert Appermont, and I fell in love with it. It is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my entire life. There are four movements. Uh, It goes yellow, red, green, nope, blue, green, and (laughs) Each of them has like this beautiful style. Yellow is like very like light and happy and like almost proud. Red yeah. is a little bit more um, aggressive, a little quicker. Um, got has lots of fun like slides. Blue is very like melancholy. Oh, I fell in love with blue. I would, I think it really um, uh, portrays like a lot of uh, things that the trombone can do that isn't expressed a lot, a lot of like beautiful legato playing, that kind of thing. And green is like very jovial, very like uh, uh, expressive and stuff like that. I I love the piece so much. And each time I play it, I think to myself, like you chose the right career path. Oh, that sounds so cheesy, but I I love it. (laughs) That's so amazing though. I love pieces that are like that. I'll, I, 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 I wish I'm, I miss that because I definitely feel that with a couple of pieces that I, I had in undergrad and I don't know that I've had that same connection, but yeah. do you know if that, that composer has synesthesia just out of curiosity? Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I would have to look that up, but admit, I would, I would love if they did. That'd be so cool to find out. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just, that's amazing. Cause I, I'm also somebody, I get pretty strong color associations with, with music. 
I don't know if it's like synesthesia level or whatever. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but there's definitely where I'll be like, ooh, this chord should be greener. And it's like, hello, what does that mean? And it's it sounds like a really cool, I'm definitely going to have to check out that piece. Um, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. It's nice and short and sweet, but I feel like I've I've really learned so much about trombone and, and about where you're coming from as a musician. And it's super nice, especially because just like, I don't know, chat again. This was awesome. It's been um, wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us here at Classical Schmassical. Uh, if you at home enjoy the show, there is plenty more where that came from. So do make sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you would like to continue the conversation on trombone, personal identity and musicianship, gender roles in music, or mental health, please join the Discord linked in the description, or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash classicalschmassical. That's schmassical, S-C-H-M-A-S-S-I-C-A-L. And remember, as always, stay classy and questionably classical. Thank you.